0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. It is episode 103. Uh, it is a, a freezing cold day in uh, March in the Northeast, and I oh, yeah. am uh, freshly back from PAX East 2017. Um, it was, uh, you know, a, a wholesome and fulfilling experience, as always. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so there's a couple things you wanted to run through today. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll real quick give you guys some, uh, some PAX stuff that I noticed. And, uh, hopefully we're going to get into some, uh, some Breath of the Wild talk, um, because it's the, literally the only thing that we can be talking about right now. It's such a big deal. So let's, uh, l- l- let me, let me first say that, uh, PAX was, uh, amazing, right? As always. Uh, it's it's always such a great thing to, to, to go see. It's always fun to see like what kind of the, not so much what you can like physically experience there. Although that's a cool thing too. Uh, it's such a, it's such a, you know, the, the term we like to use is sensory overload, but it's always cool to see what kind of like the, the prevailing, um, like culture du jour is. Uh, in the gaming world, and it's always on full blast at packs. Like you don't, it's it's never easy to miss. Uh, kind of what's what's going through the the hive mind, the the hoi polloi, right as it were. And the hoi polloi, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the cool things about about packs this year was uh, a couple of things, right? One, uh, I saw a very pronounced kind of uh, return, not return, but. Um, I don't know what the correct term I want to use is, but there was this really there's there's an, a very obvious we'll say um, hearkening to uh, the the days of of local co-op, right? And it's kind <clears throat> of it's kind of easy for this to kind of exist in a vacuum at PAX because everybody's in one place at one time. Right. But in terms of games being developed, especially by indie developers. It's uh, I think a direction that hasn't been lost on them, or at least is being revisited, and I and it, it's 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 going on in games like Screen Cheat where uh, the whole premise is kind of lost unless you're playing it locally, um, and then in uh, there was one of the, my one of my favorite uh, party games. I think that everybody should be looking out for. I think it dropped yesterday actually, but it was at, at the time of PAX, it was uh, still a couple of days away from release. But it's called Death Squared death squared is fantastic because it it, it, it's it's a it's a co-op puzzle game right there are four four blocks um in like an arena uh one of each color you are assigned a color block and you need you basically need all of you to work together in order to get your block on like the corresponding spot on the on the place right and in order for this to happen, you kind of need to all figure this out all at once. Like you all need to have a, a, this like simultaneous light bulb moment. And in order for that to happen, or at least in order for that to be conveyed, you all need to be speaking to one another. So even right. if you're playing this online and there are four people playing and three of them are on mic and one of them isn't, the game is impossible to play. And, you know, obviously at the, at the booth setup, they had everybody there playing it right in front of each other. And you went through five puzzles of increasing difficulty. They had it, like, randomized. And um, and that was a blast. I, I loved Death Squared. Uh, almost every single game... Not, that's crazy. Let me reel it back for a second. A lot of games that they had set up in the Indie Mega Booth were meant for two people to be playing at once. And a lot of it could be translated pretty well over the internet, but a lot of them were... Uh, obviously, constructed in a way where local co op would increase the uh, the enjoyment, enjoyment by by quite a bit.
1: So now let me ask you this because I I always find that in Indian Mega Booth there's a lot of local co op games. So you you feel very strongly that like this year was even more so like a local co op year.
0: Yeah, uh, in terms in terms of um, there's always been local co-op. Like, local co-op didn't go anywhere, right? It, it's just, it just was um, something that you could also do with a game. And this is the first time I've noticed them uh, actively trying to kind of, like, steer everybody in that direction where where they were saying, like, okay, we're, we're coming out with this game. There's this online co-op. Um, but look how much more fun it is when the person is right next to you kind of thing. Right. And this is the first year I noticed it. And obviously it's, it's, you know, the, the indie devs that are, that are kind of, uh, you know, spearheading this whole thing. But there were a couple of, uh, but you know, these aren't just like, you know, uh, early access steam games. A lot of them are coming out for PS4 and stuff like that. Right, right, right. So, um, so, so it, it was, it was great. I think, um, the devs are, uh, a lot of the devs were much more hands-on with like playing with the people. Uh, there was um, uh, the, the development team for Brawlhalla was doing a, uh, uh, like a weekend long uh, stock matchup for uh, between the developers and the, and the packs goers. So they had like after every match, there was, there was always one developer in the match and after every match they would tally how many the developers got versus how many the people got. And I, I don't know what the, ultimate point of that was, but I saw that they were keeping score of that. And so not only do I see this direction, uh, not, not only do I, do I see this trend, um, or this intent, uh, I see the developers actively trying to push people in this, uh, or at least push the player base to, uh, appreciate it the way that they're intending it to be appreciated.
1: So it's kind of funny to me, uh, to think about this too, because I mean, that's something I've always noticed at PAX myself. Uh, but what's interesting is when you said to me, it's so, hey, we can do this online, but look how much more interesting this is live, right? Yeah. And it goes back to, I instantly am transported to the GameCube days, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where you had Nintendo arguing, oh, yeah, we could put online, but look how awesome these games are. You know, you're a couch or whatever, whatever. And people are Fuck that, Nintendo. Put the LAN adapter in the system and stop the bullshit and let's go. And it's just kind of funny to see that kind of come full circle now. Because now we've gone through the complete online revolution. Uh, it, you know, from PC all the way through console. And, and now... Local co-op had been for a while. I mean, certainly in big budget games, it's completely gone, right? Yeah. Uh, But now, as we you said, indies have now embraced the like old school Nintendo philosophy of, all right, let's get back to, you know, get your friends on a couch somewhere and let's play this thing. You know.
0: Yeah, and and you know, it's it's preposterous to say that people are you know. Over or, uh, you know, n- no longer hype about online gaming, right? Online gaming is here to stay and I'm, I'm happy that it is and everybody's happy that it is. But like I said, local co-op's never gone anywhere. It's just, uh, it's been put on the back burner because of, you know, general increases in technology. And and now a lot of indie devs are saying, hey, listen, you know, we, we kind of hear what people have been saying in the last couple of years. You know, we, we understand that the... Uh, the demographics of your average, um, you know, video game player are changing rapidly. Uh, right. We we understand that even you know economics plays a huge role into this, where very few people can even afford to live alone anymore, and you know you you likely have a roommate even if you're an adult. So right. you know it's it's crazy to think that you wouldn't be around somebody who also plays video games at any at any point and would would play our game uh, and not have the option of playing it with somebody else. And I think people are I think developers indie developers are realizing that it's simply ridiculous to try and do away with this thing that Never that while may have, uh, you know, presumed to have lost relevancy is, is only now becoming more and more of an important thing that gamers are asking for because of just, you know, s- just simply because of the way that the world is and the way that the United States of America is currently. Right. Um, you know, the the way that our generation is kind of growing up and, you know, experience and experiencing and living in our 20s and 30s. That it's that it just doesn't make sense for a game to not be fun in, in local co-op. So right. it's fun. Like it, I, I, that was definitely a thing that I noticed. A lot of the setups were just simply placed there with two controllers. Um, even a lot of the bigger budget ones, like they had MLB the Show at uh, the at the Sony booth and they They had it set up where you, they wanted one of you to be on the other team, and like that's always fun and like that's kind of like a forgotten part of of uh sports games, but you know even big budget ones. but yeah, like I mean i remember I remember back in the uh, back when uh two k did did football games right. uh, like NFL two k, we would play that on the Dreamcast and we would do we would do all four of us on the same team. Right, and right, we would right, right. we would we would take some AI, put the put the uh, difficulty down way 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 low, and we would just one person would be quarterback, and we have three wide receivers and run, like run hail mary plays <laughs> like over and over, and just see how far we could huck the the football. Um, and that that was just as fun as playing against each other, if not more so. So, I think um, I I think that maybe it's come full circle, but maybe it just makes just as much sense as it used to, but in a very different way now. Um, either, in either case, it was a trend that I noticed. So,
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's always one of my favorite parts about going to the show is seeing uh, these, these particular aspects of gaming that indie game uh, developers are basically keeping alive. You know, you used to have the B and C tier studios that could do that kind of stuff, but they've been replaced by the indie revolution, which is perfectly fine by me because now we have way, way, way more crazy ass games uh, of that kind of B and C tier and A tier, frankly, uh, than we ever would have had before. And, And they're doing a great job of filling in the gaps that are left behind by, you know, the rush to gigantic budget, mega open world, crazy experiences or huge budget, massively multiplayer shooters and whatever, whatever. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great thing. It really is.
0: Yeah. Other thing I noticed, and this is kind of just like a passing thought and I was just kind of thinking about this on the drive home from work. Um, but it was definitely something I noticed and I, again, I'm, I'm not really an expert on this topic. And if anybody uh, out, out there is, um, you know, may, you know, kind of throw your two cents in. But uh, it's always fun to see cosplay when you go to a con, right? Right. And I was kind of excited for cosplay this year a little bit more than previous years because this was the first PAX East post-Overwatch launch. So... Right. I'm saying to myself, oh, there's going to be, like, there's going to be Overwatch cosplay. This is, this is going to be cool. I, I actually want to see, like, what people cook up. And... If there's one thing I've noticed, uh, in just, you know, just being like a, just, just in passing, you know, just constantly, uh, inundating myself with the video game news and stuff all the time is that you, I, I see cosplay stuff like it. It's, it's kind of thrown in the mix. So I see what's going on, but I don't like follow it very closely. And, right. but one of the things that I have noticed in like this very passing sense is that, um, people are now getting like, or I guess, say in the past couple of years, had been getting very, very, very good at cosplay to the point where it's all like professional, essentially. Like they have professional photographers and they have professional models, and they're just they're just like doing it as best they can. And some of this stuff is just simply uncanny and amazing, right? And then, but what you've what you've seen now is, or what I've seen again in passing, is because there is such a uh, population of people who are doing it so well that no normal person could aspire to be that. Uh, There's now this like weird, like meta joke commentary on, on the, on the cosplay scene where it's uh, perfectly acceptable, if not preferable for you to take a lot of creative license with your cosplay Um, meaning if you're like some dude and you're like kind of out of shape and you want to cosplay as D.Va, that's, (laughs) that's fine because the fact that you look nothing like D.Va and if you can do the bare minimum to let people know that you are cosplaying as D.Va, the fact that you look nothing like her and have made very little attempt to do so makes it funny in like a very good way. And not in like a patronizing way, and not in a like a, you know I'm too cool kind of way either. Um, and that was I I saw this a lot, and I think it has more to do with uh you know people um people unwillingly being thrust into the the pool of amateurism that this like high end cosplay market has created. Just by existing, and so you have people right. who are just like you know this like kind of chubby thirty year old dude who wants to cosplay as diva, but doesn't even bother to shave and like <laughs> right. and and I'm like oh shit like that's diva that's awesome like great job you got the tights and you got the face paint and everything um, really good job you know great and if you're like a five foot two uh, woman and you want to cosplay as mccree you can um and just you like yell high noon and like have a fake gun and a scarf and like a hat and you're and you, that's it and like it's great it's great that you are barely mccree like it's it's <laughs> like that's the best part like there's a very wide margin uh for people to exist in this like half-assery and it's and it's like – is making cosplay far, like that much more enjoyable for the people who can just simply recognize you for who you're trying to be but not criticizing you for where you've failed?
1: Right. So yeah, that, that is kind of interesting Now you mention it. Basically, it's kind of similar to the thing I was saying earlier about local co-op and how it's gone full circle mentality because this is essentially another full circle, right? Right. Back but in the it's, day, but... everybody would poke fun – like in the early days of the internet when people would get the couple photos from – Whatever local convention, and you had people with their, we tried, but we weren't that good at making our full male alchemist cosplay or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they would be a laughing stock on whatever website, right? Yeah. But now, as you said, over the last 10 years, cosplay has gotten to like this completely crazy level where you now have, as you said, full time professionals that just, that straight up just go to shows. Basically to be models. Like we now have yeah. a
0: nerd model sub-industry going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's funny. Like I agree with what you're saying. But the difference between the, uh, the co-op thing and, and the, the cosplay thing is with the cosplay thing, there is a very obvious level of irony with, with like not trying very and, true, and uh, the iron, the irony doesn't exist in um, in the local pop thing and because and they're actually they're actually trying to do a thing. But I, I guess you're right. It, it kind of has come full circle where you know this this thing that was just um, you know this uh, this like enthusiast pastime, um, you know, with, with this like grassroots enthusiast pastime has become um, inaccessible to the masses. So. You know, in- well, I wasn't
1: even talking about that, though that's a really good point. I was saying that come full circle because now if you were a whack cosplayer in like 01, right. you know, you were just a laughing stock. Yeah. But now if you're, it's kind of come full circle because now you can be a whack cosplayer in 2017, but if you're just whack enough, <laughs> now it's funny.
0: Right. As, yeah. as
1: opposed to just being like, look at this guy who could not even be bothered to fucking shave, you sack of shit. You know, now, now it's just like, oh, look at this guy. He's purposely, you know, making budget cosplay. As a matter of fact, there was that guy that I don't know if he still has like a tumble or anything, but the, I don't know if you saw pictures like, but like it was straight up exactly what you're talking about. Where he would do all this really purposely horrible cosplay. Yeah. That barely, barely looked like it. Like, I still think of the Symmetra one, which was like literally like he used a broom as part of it. It was so fucking hilarious.
0: Well, that's different. That's like a different level of irony because that's... That, yeah, that's, that
1: was like the extreme level.
0: Right. Because here what I'm talking about is the costumes are like more or less on point for what you can expect from just like a, your average con goer, right? Right. But the fact that you cannot fit this mold is embraced.
1: Right. Um,
0: you know, and, and I, I, I vaguely remember a conversation like this happening... Back before, um, you know, like oh, if you like don't have a certain body type or don't look a certain way, you shouldn't be cosplaying as a certain character. And like that was that was like very quickly brushed aside as like fucked up. So now it's just kind of like it literally doesn't matter. And the further off you are from the mark, the funnier it is. Right. But uh, the best the best one that we saw everybody everybody agrees was the guy who cosplayed as Prince, but specifically. Prince from the Chappelle Show skit. So he walked around with like the the like um, the like fe- pancakes. The, the like feathery shirt and the and the plate of pancakes. Yeah, that was uh. No, with- yeah, the ruffled the ruffled shirt. He had he had all the all the ruffles and the and the perm and the and the plate of pancakes. And it was just it was just classic. It was perfect.
1: Which is amazing. But a quick aside, it does uh. I, there is that moment when you realize you know a lot of people who are at that show. Are too young to get that
0: joke somebody somebody said something like that to me um at the show i think it was i think it was marquise he said uh, we were talking about some game and oh you know what it was okay it was it was um it was during the who wants to be a nintendo air panel right who wants to be a nintendo air is exactly what we think it is um one of the contestants was was very young well, i I want to say uh, he was prepubescent i I, I want to say ten or eleven right, and somebody asked him about this game that was like embarrassingly recent, and right. somebody had to point out that that game came out before this kid was born, and he didn't know the and he didn't know the answer, and nobody could be mad because they were like, no, this GameCube literally came out before he was born. Like half of the questions don't apply to this child uh, because, I mean, you are there. I mean, the the GameCube is older than he is, so it, it it was, you know, that's something that's like that's like a general aging thing that everybody has to cope with. But, um, that Chappelle show skit I would like to believe is timeless.
1: It's timeless in quality, but like a lot of. That the Chappelle show is one of those things that was a cultural moment when it was happening. Right. And obviously to those of us who are in that moment, like you never, ever going to forget half of the stuff that went on in that show. But you probably don't necessarily know uh, if you're like, I would say younger than like 20, even 26, honestly. Uh, because remember that Dave Chappelle completely fell off the face of the earth after that. Right. Until, until recently anyway. So yeah, that's like like a moment in time. We're really going to have to do the
0: gaming generation thing discussion soon. Uh, yeah. We need to find a 10 year old to have as a guest and ask him. things. I'm like, do you, do you know, do you know (laughs) about Halo (laughs) one? They're like, yeah, I know about Halo one. I, like, like I, never, I never played it, but I saw a video. They're like, I'm 10, but I'm not stupid. I'm like,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm like, do you know Nintendo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, stop talking to me like that.
1: Yeah, they're like, do you know
0: English? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so speaking of Nintendo, um, little segue. I think it's really mm-hmm. important that even though we try not to talk about uh, the, uh, you, you know, Im- immediate cycle of, of news, and, and we definitely try to avoid reviewing things uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, Breath of the Wild came out uh, a few weeks ago, and two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, actually. And right. um, it's it's kind of, uh, to, say, to say that it's dominated the, the news cycle is a little bit of an understatement. Uh, so, you know, Frog and I have both been playing it, and Um, you know to varying degrees and I I think it's important to talk about it because there's not much that can be said that hasn't already been said about the game but it's still worth mentioning I think a lot of the things that have been brought up already are still worth mentioning because the game is uh, does so many things uh, so well that it's you know Polygon gave it a 10 right
1: a lot of outlets gave it a 10. Right, but... Like, this is hyperbolic, actually.
0: You no, know, it really is. So, you know, it, it's... it's The reviews are literally unbelievable. When The the reviews all dropped a day or two before the game, and I was in shock by the reviews. I was expecting a good game. I think everybody was expecting a good game. You know, there hasn't been a bad Zelda game in a long time, but I Some think... Some
1: people would argue that point, but I agree with you.
0: So, you know... You can generally expect a competent video game when you're playing a Legend of Zelda game. So, but when I saw the 10 out of Polygon, I was like, "Oh well, like that's a rare." I, I I can't remember the last t- time they gave gave a game a 10. So, today actually they were talking about the reviews, and they they listed uh, what their criteria for a 10 is, and it's essentially like this game is not a must play it's not perfect but it's a game that does so many things so well and it is so difficult to find flaws in that people are going to be talking about it for a very long time and it's going to dominate the conversation for a very long time and I think that that's the most obvious thing you can say about it at this point is that people are going to be talking about this game and looking at it and using it as influence for a lot of future titles because of all of the things that it did right and there are definitely a few things that people would have would have improved upon. They are largely cosmetic. They are largely quality of life type things. Um, but the game, it's it itself, the uh, the 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 bones and the meat and the potatoes of of this game is so like just like mind-bogglingly perfect. I think that it this really is... is going to be. It really is going to be one of those games where you know people. People, I I doubt that there is a single open world game that is currently in development that didn't look at itself in the mirror after <laughs> after playing Breath Once of the, the
1: Wild. the dev got a hold of this,
0: yeah, and and said, hey, listen, we did this one. We were plan we're planning on doing this one thing in our game. Let's rethink that because Breath of the Wild did it this way, and this is perfect.
1: Yeah. So a few thoughts. One, and I don't know why this sticks out in my mind so much, but I just found it so fascinating. Uh, so, Jeff Kaplan, the director of the Overwatch team, mm-hmm. you know, recently did the Ask Me Anything on uh, Reddit. And somebody asked him, you know, like, whoa, well, well, what are you playing right now? And he was like, oh, right now it's all about Zelda, which he referred to straight up as a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh When people like that are giving you big up, that's that's pretty damn good, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: But let's get a little deeper because already I can feel the eye rolls of people who are like, "Okay, guys, you know, take you know, uh, take Nintendo's balls out of your mouth for five minutes." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, (laughs) But there's a reason why we're the last people on Nintendo's balls in this particular. Uh, arena because the reviewers were like mm, "nom nom 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 yeah. <laughs> well beforehand and I think the reason for that is ultimately that what Nintendo has done is they have really it's kind of a continuation of what you can see in a lot of their games recently which is basically taking what's already out there and putting a really nice spit shine polish on it yeah like you had Splatoon, for example, which was put the uh, split the Spit Shine polish on a modern shooter, right? And I think this is their first crack at doing that for the open world formula. Uh, slash, it would appear to me a little bit of uh, you can I I can already see like the Souls influence on it. Uh, now of course it's not like a super difficult game or whatever, but uh it, is, it definitely borrows the whole idea of, you know, we're going to get back to minimal communication to the player. Uh, I forget where I read this particular piece. It might have been U.S. Game or one of them, but uh, they were talking about how wonderful it was that this game is bringing back the schoolyard, as, essentially. So for those that don't know, when you start at Breath of the Wild... Like, literally, I was floored it was even, it was this dark. When you, you know, like, press the icon on the menu. Only thing you see, Nintendo presents The Legend of Zelda. You hear a voice say, Link, wake up. You get up, and you're off to the races. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. That That is the extent of the setup. Uh, as opposed to the older Zelda games, where you know you had to wake up, find out that you were late for some shit or the other, farm for like an hour, find out then... that
0: you were late for some shit, is the is like so hilariously the first ten minutes of every Zelda game. Right. That's so funny. I everybody, you know what? That's so funny because everybody, you know, they were saying like, I think during, I think it was, I think it was the Kotaku review, but they were like, it's. They're like, you wake up like you do in every Zelda game, but then you do this. And I'm like – and I'm like, yeah, you do wake up in every Zelda game. And then you're like – and then you find out you're late for something. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) that is like – you do – that is exactly what happens in every Zelda game.
1: I'm telling you. uh, Now, I will say I find it interesting that like people are really, really bothered by that like hour of – rather pointless setup in most the games. Like, it never bothered me that much. Like, this is clearly a better way to go,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it never bothered me to the extent, like, people rage about that. But they took that out completely. So you're off to the races immediately, and you are completely left to your own devices. Now, if you follow the path that the game, you know, sort of prescribes to you, then you can, you know, find your way, right? But they're like, yeah, go outside and go (laughs) like you could trot right off to the final boss right then and there if you really want to which people have already done yep right so uh it embraces that uh idea from back in the day of we're not going to give you a whole lot of information and more importantly we want people to communicate about this game you know back in the day it was a schoolyard like you went to school you are telling your friends, yo, I've been playing this Zelda game. Oh, what part are you up to? I'm, I did this and this. Did you know? You know, you had your boy. Did you know? Yeah. That if you went over here, they have this secret, this it. Like, yeah. What? So, this game blew that up for 2017 on the internet, where people are going to be on the internet on Twitch streams and whatever, whatever, being like, oh, did you know if you went here? Oh, shit, that's crazy. Yeah, and that's really fun. Like that's that's a meta layer of the game that, uh, when we see it in action now, again in our modern social media drenched format, it's something that is really valuable. I think that's something that you're going to see definitely come into into play uh, going forward in a lot of uh, open world games. This idea of we're going to give you minimal information. And we're going to stuff this thing full of secrets, go out there and make it happen. I have a ton more thoughts, but let's start with that.
0: Yeah, so that's interesting. And I was I was actually telling Marquise because I uh, had packs about this because we we started talking about the game. I asked him how far he was. He said he was doing this and that. And I, I started talking about the, uh, the the seeds, the like Kokiri seeds or whatever the hell mm-hmm. that are scattered around. There's 900 of them. Yeah. Right? And... Uh, I'm like, man. I've been collecting these things, but like, I, they keep saying something's gonna happen if I collect them. But like, and he was like, "Are oh, you supposed to give them to this dude?" And I'm like, "Where's the dude?" And he was like, "I, I don't know, like random places." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, like, I guess I gotta find him." But like, I would, I never would have known that because I'm, um, you know, we we have such a, uh, I think, like, um, you know, uh, like spoiler uh, terrified culture that like, I'm not gonna look that up. Uh, and you know, accidentally see something I don't want to see, right. but it's okay for like a friend to tell you because right. you like trust them, and it's and it's weird because I was we, so we're talking about the game, and I'm like, you know, this is this game is the most fun to talk about with other people since Mass Effect, right? Yes, and I, I specifically said Mass Effect because you played Mass Effect. And you were talking to people, like you wanted to know the decisions that they made. Precisely. You know, who'd you keep? Uh, you know, who did you you know, who did you uh, pursue romantically? Who, you know, what what like big decisions did you make? Um, did you Best ki- Effect was
1: a platform to discuss philosophy.
0: Exactly, yeah. Did did you kill all of the Krogan or do you have a soul? You know, like general ah, questions like that. that. And with and with Zelda, it's like it's the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, what what order did you do this? You know, what, um, you know, what what did you prioritize? Uh, how did you find this out? Where did you find that out? The game tells you nothing, and at the same time, it trusts that the player will find those things out the the way that they see fit, and. Right. If that's by watching it on YouTube, cool. If that's by talking to your friend, cool. If that's by reading about it, cool. And that's... They, they've, they've, like... They've, they've created this, like, market demand for discussion about the game. And rather than letting you, you know, like, letting you do... like Like, even in Skyrim, where you could do anything, I don't remember asking people about the things that they did in Skyrim. And it's, all, it's kind of because it followed like a very um, what I would consider now to be an outdated open world format where they give you everything right away, like the whole world right away. And you can the, sto- the story still kind of kind of kind of drags you in a specific direction. You can walk in the other direction, but you won't be completing anything. But with Zelda, you can walk in the opposite direction that it tells you to go in in the in the very beginning and still be completing the game right and that i think uh you, you know cre- like creates this you know um this this like market for innovation and and discussion
1: yeah it's it's interesting cuz when you put it even like that uh this game is such a potent answer to a critique that's particularly levied against Japanese developers of being overly hand-holdy. Yeah. And so they, I think they went even, as to your point, a step further than even the hotshot Western teams in saying, all right, well, we have structured the entire game radically to let you do whatever the hell you want. Period. Yeah. You know, we'll give you a minimal nudge in the... Store The prescribed storyline direction Should you choose to take that path But we really want to just Set you down in this world And you're just going to go Figure it out You know uh, I remember there's been a lot of By the way a surprising amount of communication From Nintendo regarding The way that they approach the development Of this game They're usually a lot more tight lipped than this
0: Yeah I've noticed that as well
1: uh, and one of the things they said, uh, some of the, the folks from the dev team were saying, is that they, they the philosophy that used to guide development was—actually, this is Anuma himself that said this—the uh, philosophy he used to have was getting lost is a sin. If the player gets lost, we fucked up, right? right. And when they really first started concepting Breath of the Wild and started— getting, like, real playtests down, then he realized this game is literally the opposite. This game is designed for you to get lost. And you're going to find the meaning you derive out of your gameplay experience is from you
0: getting lost. Exactly. I was about to say, like, you know, you... It's it's the perfect, like... I've never seen a game that... uh, Connects you with the character. I know that's like a little bit of a trope, but connects you with the character in, in, the, in the fact that you, actually, even just as this like, you know, supposedly omniscient like uh, you know, consumer of this piece of media, are, for the very first time that I can feel, it, are in, is in, in the exact same boat as the main protagonist, where the game tells you so little that you are literally learning about the game at the same rate as Link.
1: Yeah, I mean, the problem, the trope is that usually you'd have amnesia or what the hell hell ever. Well, I mean, technically speaking, well, no, it's not amnesia. I don't want to get into story spoilers, but there's a reason why Link does not know what
0: the hell is going on. But I'm saying, like, even in... It always feels like, even in an open-world game, you know something that the protagonist does not, right? Right. You're right. playing, you know, you're playing a game like uh, Skyrim or or even like Horizon Zero Dawn that just came out. And you are not, like, in awe of what you're seeing because you there's still this disconnect where, like, even if you... Um, even if the game really speaks to you and you have this immersion, you are still this uh, this this like um, this omniscient being right. that's that's partaking in uh, somebody else's story. And even if you like really feel for the main character, whatever, whatever, you are still like you can still detach yourself from this thing and learn more about it uh, from. ...random things like map point... ...like things that you could... ...things that you can like reasonably assume... ...that the protagonist can't... Uh, ...see or... or ...understand and... ...like... ...with this game it's not... ...that's really not the case because... ...you know not only is... ...you know not only are you... ...are you gated from the entire world... ...by this... Um, ...by this like fog of war type mechanic but... ...you also... Uh, They don't put anything on the map, and one of the most interesting things that I noticed about, like, uh, okay, um, let me how to okay, you are terrible with directions, right? Yep. Okay. Imagine for a second that you had a mini map, right? Mm -hmm. Of your area, New York City, right? New York City Mm -hmm. and environs. Mm. -hmm. And it was created by Ubisoft, right? <laughs> right. Let's say you had a a Ubisoft style mini map at your disposal at, at your disposal at all times.
1: Right? right.
0: And you could customize it however you want. You you want you want there to be like a map point for all of the, um, all of the the Hibachi joints, whatever. Right. You know, stuff like all that. All the game stores. All the game stores, all the Hibachi joints, uh, you know, your gym, your home, stuff like that. Uh, to the point where you're, you know, even just the fact that you have this, like, HUD that is guiding you someplace, right? Puts right. you at an... It puts you at an advantage from the actual character, right? Right. You... You can reasonably assume that if you were actually standing in the same place as the character, you could not see this minimap. but you as the player can see it.
1: Right. So perhaps, the, and I know exactly what you're saying, and I think that what you're trying to sit, suggest here is that in most open-world games, you're the puppet master. Yes. and You what, are what, controlling this avatar, who, yeah, as you said, you can perfectly identify with as a character, person, whatever, 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 but... There's that layer of removal because the dev team has given you the puppet master, uh, the omniscient tools to be like, all right, well, you puppet are going to go here because I can see you need to go here, and I
0: can, and you can. Right. Now um, let's say. Now let's say, you were given a mini map. Uh, for the same, you know, area of influence, but it was done, uh, Breath of the Wild style. Right. right would you be just as bad at navigating yourself as you are currently yes because you have that thing and it's called Google Maps and you're still shitty at getting around using yes. Google Maps so you've essentially been given you know like once you have the the whole map unlocked you're still essentially given the the Breath of the Wild version of Nint- of uh, of Google I almost said Nintendo Maps th- th- good thank God that that thing does not exist but <laughs> you know you're you're given essentially the Breath of the Wild version of Google Maps where if you need to get someplace you know unless you have this area straight up memorized unless you have the entire world every nook and cranny of it essentially memorized and you know, you are, you are still pulling up the map every five minutes, making sure that you're going in the right direction. You're still pulling up the map, making sure that, you know, you, you can, you know, uh, bridge this gap that, that the, the point that you manually placed on the map that was not placed there for you is, you know, at, at an accessible point on, on the, the, the world map, right? You, you act, you treat the map in Breath of the Wild, the same exact way that you would treat Google Maps on your phone, getting around a city that you're not familiar with. And this is, I think, such an important part of the immersion because you are you are essentially dumbed down to the level of, of Link, right? Now, you, that you are, said... You are just as dumb and, and lost as Link is.
1: right. You, you are now the character as opposed to the puppet master. Yes. That said, though, they did borrow this mechanic from it. funny you say Ubisoft because that's who they borrowed this mechanic from.
0: Uh, because no, because the the, the map, yeah, the the like getting to the tower, tower
1: and then unlocking parts of the map. Yeah,
0: the the unlocking parts of the map thing was Ubisoft. What they've what they've done, and I and I think that, and uh, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn did this as well. And I think that this is kind of like this agreed upon, like currently like best way of unlocking parts of the map is like by getting to a point and doing thing but the difference is if you play uh watchdogs or, or any other uh open world ubisoft game what happens is when you unlock that that thing the mini-map is all of a sudden flooded with all this shit like oh here's all these points in the map this is where you can you know get this this is where you can get clothes this is where you can do all this stuff and if you were to buy like, if, if you were to uh, drive uh, on a highway in a direction that you've never gone in, right, Th- you know, uh, theoretically, you know, quote unquote, unlocking a part of your own world map and ending up right. in a city, like a sizable city, uh, we'll say, you know, you drive on I-80, like you you, you cross the GW, right, um, you know you, you cross the Hudson River, the, the barrier between the, 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 the civilized and the uncivilized, and you drive west on i-80 through pennsylvania until you get to pittsburgh right a city that you've never been to a city that i've never been to and you end up in pittsburgh right google maps doesn't automatically like custom like have this customized inundation of shit that you might be interested in you still have to look for it right you still have to do research and you still have to explore a little bit and that's not what ubisoft does when you unlock a portion of the map you have The actual, like, road map or terrain map or whatever. But they're all they're also like, here's all the shit that you're going to need in this area. But when you unlock that same thing in Zelda, the only thing that you have is the topography. And you're like, oh, there's a lake over there. And if you look at it hard enough, you're like, oh, it's shaped like a skull. And then some random dude will be like, you know, there's a skull-shaped lake, uh, you know, somewhere. And, like, I hear there's a dude over there that, you know, fucking knows some shit about monsters. And you're like, oh, dude, I know where that skull... Like, is, uh, crap, where was it again? You have to, like, do the whole rigmarole of, like, looking through your map and, like, if I said to you, like, oh, there's a new barbecue place that opened up on, uh, you know, 116 and Broadway, right? Like, you, I know, I mean, I'm saying you as in, like, specifically you, Frog, would would like, you know, look at me like I don't know where that is. Even though I know for a fact that you have been in sixteenth and Broadway because I've taken you there. So, right. you know, I'm saying like, like it, it mirrors, it mirrors like the average person's, uh, you know,
1: um, experience
0: of the world. I would say the average person's, um, understanding of their immediate surroundings better than any other game has. And in doing that, it's created this like this, like, uh, this, like, unbreakable bond between you and this game world, because you treat it exactly the way you would your own.
1: That's a very good way to put it, uh, and put, but now you layer the supernatural on top of that, right? So, this is, of course, still a fantasy game, so the supernatural portion, and this goes back to Kotaku's review, and I really like how Jason Schreier put this, uh, he said part of the, what makes this game glorious is that it always tells you yes. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking to yourself, can I do that? The answer is yes. Like eight out of ten times, the answer is yes. Uh, in particular, I don't know if he specifically called out this as much, but in particular, I really enjoy the fact that you can climb basically anything. Yeah. Uh, which is extreme. This is where the supernatural gets in, because obviously in real life we don't get around to climbing each and everything we come across. But the fact that you can just be like, all right, well I'm walking around and I'm trying to figure out where to go, so I'm just going to climb this big rock that's next to me and see, you know, where it takes me. That's crazy.
0: Right. And then the other thing is, is that like you say, you say supernatural, but that same mechanic, you know, most times I think mirrors the way that you would actually, you know, uh, you know, tool around in a new place as an actual human living on earth. Like you know, in so many in so many games, you know, this like tiny like knee-high pile of debris is like <laughs> insurmountable, like you can't go that way. And here I am like playing the latest Pokemon game and you know, you the game wants you to go somewhere, so they put some like stupid bush or something. And like in real life, I think about this all the time like in real life, I would just I would just like step over that stupid bush. Like, I would just go that way because it's a shorter way, and it's astounding that we have gone this far without this being a staple in open world games.
1: Well, now that Breath of the Wild has shown us, you know, the true the one true way. Yeah, uh, it's it's thrown into stark belief. They, I think, and again, this is where you get into the whole idea of a spit, shine, polish. They said, all right, well, if we're going to do an open world game, let's do an open world game. Like, we're going to give you a world that, much like the world you live in, uh, only has, the only limit is yourself. Yeah. The world is not going to artificially tell you, you can't go here, you can't do that. The only limit to your ability to traverse and explore the world around you is you. Uh, In real life, that would be your physical capacity to do so. Uh, In this game, it is your uh, mental capacity to do so. So, you know, wherever you decide you want to go, where you feel like going at the time. Uh, Let me switch this a little bit to talk about uh, how this game... Is another Funny, we're talking a lot about full circles today. But this is another full circle, right? So, the first Zelda, famously, was inspired by Mr. Miyamoto's adventures around the countryside in Japan where he grew up. Uh, which, by the way, is why it's all the more perfect that you were talking about, you know, how we explore the world around us, da-da-da-da-da. But, of course, on the NES, as brilliantly... Realized as it was for an 8 game. Obviously, that is not exactly what Miyamoto was going for, right? Uh, but, you know, some 20-odd, 30, excuse me, odd years later, here we are. Uh, this game, I think, better than any Zelda game before it, realizes the, that feeling of I'm in this new part of the world, and I'm in nature. And I'm going to just run around nature and see cool things and explore and see what little things I can find. Uh, the entire Zelda series also has likes to re- reward exploration in little ways. So I'll never forget, for example, in like Twilight Princess. I'd be riding around on my horse and then I'd see some like little cave. I'd be like, oh, let me just go in a little cave. And... It doesn't really particularly go anywhere, but you explore the whole cave and you might find, like, a bundle of rupees, right? Yeah. Uh, That formula has gone on crack in this game because you could find rupees now, sure, but they also brought in the whole Animal Crossing slash every survival game ever uh, system in here where you can now go hunt animals and catch fish and bugs and all this, like, a robust array of all of the above yeah and cook too, and discover new recipes. So your ability to and your willingness to explore are going to be rewarded in much more fulfilling ways than in any other Zelda game before it. Uh, and again, all that just feeds back into this really coherent experience that it offers.
0: Yeah, it's um it's a wonderful game if you couldn't tell. Uh, but <laughs> we're not the first people to say it, and we won't be the last. Um,
1: Let me add one more thought, actually.
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: So I just mentioned Animal Crossing. I also this is definitely something that is like a Nintendo specific thing. Playing this game, and I said this to you the other day, playing this game feels very meditative. Yes. Like for an adventure game, like this is the most like relaxed adventure game I've ever played. Like I just run around the environment. Like sometimes you just climb to the top of things and just like look around,
0: and yes. like the like
1: piano flourishes on the soundtrack, so which many, is amazing by the so way. So many
0: beautiful, uh, so many beautiful vistas. Um, yeah, the uh, and and real quick, I I love how subdued the music is in this game. Like, right. I think the best thing about this game is that the music is. Almost feels like it's not there, but not because you're tuning it out because it's bad, but because it's, it's purposefully soft and, you know, like, subversive. So, and it, the reason why they did this is because they want you to pick up on all the world sounds. And then another reason is, I don't know if you've encountered Cass yet. Cass? Cass. No. Yeah, the character Cass. So, no. Cass is like a wandering bard, I guess. He, mm-hmm. he is in every area, he's in like one place in every area, but he's a bard and his, his, uh, his I almost said weapon of choice, his instrument of choice is a accordion, right? Mm. And one of the amazing things that would not be possible if the music was a little bit more pronounced is you know you're getting close because you can faintly hear the accordion music. And right. there, there has been more than one occasion where I faintly hear it, and I'm like, "Oh, Cass is nearby," and I'm like, try to follow the sound, and that's like this whole other like music-driven part of the game where the music like enhances the experience rather than is just there. And you're like, "Listen, listen to this amazing score we did. L- listen to it. Like, it, it's, <laughs> listen. Like this, the it, it's so much more like." um i would say uh working uh, uh synergistically i don't know if that's a word but uh synergistically synerg- synergistically with the actual actions of the game rather than it just being this um this like static constant
1: now i'll say that is all true and i mean in most open world games they give you the option of having like no music or from some fairly obnoxious array of radio stations for example yeah uh, but that again feels kind of like I hate to use the word tacked on because a lot of work goes into those things Yeah. but it, as you said there's no real synergy with the game around you whereas you don't have those options in Breath of the Wild but the way music is integrated into the world makes it a much more fulfilling part of the experience Yes, so again I don't know I don't know exactly how that part is going to play going forward, but it works super super well for um for Zelda because as you're exploring you get light bits of soundtrack very artistically done you know you get light bits of piano here and there and then of course you know the enemy themes will come up as you as you start to battle uh, but it, it's just such a it's just such an overall highly polished, uh, extremely well thought out experience. That is what makes this game so fulfilling to play. It is ex- it is thought out in in a way that only Nintendo typically, you know, goes to the length to think out.
0: Agreed, agreed. It's um, you know, there's there's no sh- there's no shortage of. Discussion and, and people talking about it and, and writing about it. And if you haven't played it yet uh, because you couldn't get your hands on a Switch and you didn't buy a Wii U because you were smart, um,
1: i more s- dumb, in my opinion. But I, would say, <laughs> I would say,
0: I would say, you know, uh, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be around. Um, see what you can do. Uh, see what you can do to get your hands on it it's it's um again it it's 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 not a must play but it's dominating currently like current discussions and if and if you feel like you want to be a part of that discussion because you are a gaming enthusiast and i imagine that you are um, this is, uh, this is, a uh, higher up on the priority list than any other game that's currently out. And there are a lot of amazing games that are currently out. Uh, the, the whole rotation of mine was, was shifted after the release of this game. Uh, and I imagine it was for everybody else as well. So, um,
1: I'll also add this too, as far as influence, cause we, we should touch that too. Uh, there's sometimes we get these games that represent sea changes for the entire industry. Uh, Ocarina of Time is probably the most famous one.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and then the second most famous one is Dark Souls. Right. Uh, I don't know if this is yet a sea change, but this definitely feels like a, uh, a big turning of heads, shall we say.
0: Yes, a collective turning of heads.
1: This is a collective turning of heads. And I think... There's definitely a before this game and after this game you're going to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, a common era and a and a before common era. We've reached a new common era. Exactly. So, so yeah, if you guys have uh, if you guys have been playing the game and you have thoughts about it, um, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at Frog Snacks, on Instagram at Frog Snacks Podcast. Uh, if you want to check out any of our other uh, beautiful insights. They are all chronicled on our website, frogsnacks.net. We've got all of our episodes there and written content as well. We're on iTunes. Check us out there. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you guys next week. Take care. Peace. Peace.